Good morning. Yeah, I know there's people there. Happy New Year, blessed New Year, whatever your preferred greeting is. I don't know what you all experienced, but I don't know where the last year went, hardly. It went by very quickly, and I remember thinking that, excuse me, thinking that as we went through it, this is going very, very quickly, and I guess that means there's lots to do in life, and you keep going through that. Would be curious, I'm going to put you all on the spot, uh, but something I think that's helpful, whenever you go through life, you end up with uh, the good and the bad, and sometimes we remember the bad a little too easy. Maybe we'd do better to focus on the good sometimes. Why don't you all just pop off a little bit and say some good things that happened in the last year, if you don't know it's exactly in the year, whatever, in recent history here. What are some good things? Two grandchildren. Well, Spring had a baby boom. Yep. Surely there's more. Well, I feel like I learned an awful lot of things. Good. Okay, good. It's good having you there. Good, Chica came. And probably if you thought long enough, there could be a lot more. Uh, okay, very good. Lucille's brother passed away, but he was ready to meet Jesus. So I. Sometimes it comes to the stage of life where it's good to just go on, although death I don't think ever is convenient. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you have that assurance, Lucille. Was that just this week? Oh, we'll bless you in that loss. All right, we're not going to pause too long. I, if I reflect, I've had many, many good things that uh, some temporal, some relational, some spiritual. One thing I would love to highlight, I, I have a message prepared, but as I was reading in Second Peter uh, in the last week, which is not my message, it was like that really ought to be a number of sermons there. That I was reminded of why my, one of my favorite verses is in, is in Second Peter, and I'm very blessed by that. So I'd like to just reflect a little bit on, you know, did, uh, did you all grow this year? Last year, I think it was right after New Year's Day, I preached a sermon called The Year of Growth. And throughout the year, we've looked at a number of hindrances to growth and how to resolve them. So maybe just a few questions. Did you grow as an individual? Did you get closer to Jesus? Did you overcome obstacles? Did you embrace God-given opportunities? And then what about us together as a church? Did we get better together? Would we say that Wellspring is at a better place than it was or not as well? And hopefully the answer is that we did. Is our group of Jesus followers 
a better reflection of our leader than we were 12 months ago. And now for each of us as individuals, how did we contribute to that collective growth? And then more personally again, I put this verse on the screen just because I think that's where we ought to start every year and every day is on the foundation of Jesus. There is no better foundation. There is no other true foundation to be laid. And we need to build our life and growth on him. Uh, church spiritual growth, our personal growth. And I'm going to say a Christ-centered ethic for all of life. Public, private, attitude, action. That ought to be our focus. We need to build on that foundation. So we've looked at a number of spiritual blocks, and we're going to look at another one today. Uh, bitterness, pride, temporal values, negative thoughts, controlled by the enemy, fear, worry, rebellion. As I reflected on that, it's like I think there's probably elements in each of those that I need to be aware of. It's, it's not like you just arrive and now you don't worry about it. Uh, we keep being aware of that. Some of those are maybe more subtle than others. When we overcome, that is spiritual maturity and growth in progress. So today, I have, I'd like to introduce today's topic, and I see we have a visitor. Visitor, why don't you come on in here? And while well, we haven't had an elephant in church before, I'm not sure what to do about this. Let's see. Yeah, that's good. We've got to keep that thing right there. Anyone seen an elephant in church before? I haven't. Now, you might be able to guess who's in there, but if you were just looking, looking on, could you tell for sure? Do you know for sure who's inside that elephant suit? Or do, is it an elephant? He's not on all fours. I guess it's probably not an elephant. So how would we know for sure what's really inside of here? Open it, figure out what's actually there. Okay, is that kind of, sorry? What he does. What he does, yeah, okay, that's good. So if we start peeling back some layers here, oops, that's kind of tight. You're gonna see who this is. <laughs> it's Wesley, okay. That's all right, you can take it off if you want. All right, thank you, Wesley. Stuck to your ear? Yeah, that was a big mask. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You can take it in the back and take it off there. Maybe I'll keep this up here just for further illustration. It's supposed to be a beard. It looks more like a mask to me right now. The topic I'd like for us to think about of masked men and hidden hearts resolving hypocrisy. When it comes to spiritual vices, I think that this may be one that can plague us when we don't want it to. Uh, sometimes it plagues some churches. Maybe some church cultures are more plagued by it than others. What I believe is Christian and is the true church is when there is no hypocrisy present. Jesus has very harsh words for that. 
and want to talk about that today. Luke 12 will be our primary text. We will look at a number of other uh, texts as well as we develop that. Thank you, Wesley, for helping me out with the elephant suit. And for you children in particular, I hope you can remember as I'm talking here, what, what we're talking about with hypocrisy is something that's hidden and what's really inside. Wesley is not really an elephant. He's Wesley. And sometimes we end up kind of putting on suits and masks and we show things that aren't. And that's, that's what we want to talk about today. In Yorkshire, England, there's a Ribston Hall. I don't know a lot of the history of that, but I understand that there's a sculpture in that hall. It's called the Two-Faced Butler. On one side, there is a face that is all smiles and politeness, and on the other side is one that depicts nothing but impoliteness and rebellion and aggravation. The story behind it is that the mistress had a servant who, when she would tell him to do things, would always be all smiles to her face, but as soon as she turned her back, he would become snide and rude to the other servants and make unkind comments about her. At some point, she caught him doing that and decided as a reminder for her staff, her servants, she would have a sculpture made reflecting the two-faced butler. And I think that probably would have been somewhat painful to walk the, the rooms there and to know that this is a sculpture dedicated to you. I assume he may have stayed there a little bit. But it was a lesson to all who were there to not follow in the footsteps of that two-faced butler. Hypocrisy has been a problem that blocks spiritual growth and maturity maybe since the beginning of time, I don't know, since the fall of man. Uh, it's a common problem. It's one that we can easily fall into, and we need to be aware of it. I think you could make the argument <clears throat> that it is a, I'm not sure if I'm willing to say the most critical but I'm going to give it a fairly high mark. It is among the most critical issues facing the church because it is extremely, I don't even know for sure the word. It's very distasteful. It is not attractive. It is repulsive when people who name the name of Christ and say, I want to follow Jesus, and they turn around and do other things. People within the church, people without the church, can easily say, if that's what being Christian is, I want nothing to do with it. And I can't say as I blame them. It's sad. It's unfortunate because that is not what Christian is. And I would long for them that they'd be able to accept what real Christianity is. I've, just, I've talked with this topic, about this topic with unbelievers, one in particular, who uses this as his excuse to not truly turn his heart to the Lord, although he's been in churches. What I told him 
somewhat in jest, but mostly dead serious, is that I would rather go to church with a hypocrite than to go to hell with one. And it resonated with him. He got it. Unfortunately, he hasn't changed his ways yet, to my knowledge. But that, I think, is one of the things we ought to consider as we think about hypocrisy, and that is how do we actually reflect Jesus? Am I consistently reflecting what the Lord wants me to be and do? 1 Samuel 16, 7, you know the story of uh, David being anointed king when the prophet came to uh, the house of Jesse, he went through all the sons, and he said, I think that is the story. I didn't even look at the context. Was it there or was it Saul? I can't remember. I think it was in the case of David. I apologize for not knowing. Uh, but the words that were used in, in thinking about this, it was David. Uh, Jesse was saying, all of my sons here, they are, they're fit to be a king. And Samuel's like, that's not the right one. Do you have another one? Oh, yeah, I got a little one. He's out in the field. We'll bring him in. And Samuel said to Jesse, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that is so key to remember as we think about this. In fact, let's take a look at that here in Luke 12. We see there truly is nothing hidden. And I'd like for you all to read with me uh, the verses on the screen from Luke 12, the first five verses. Altogether, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Here in verses 2 and 3, I find this very sobering. Uh, I'm not going to delve into all the things that that might mean. The main point I want to take from it is verse 2. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. If there are areas of your life that you think are hidden, be informed they're not hidden to God. You might be successful in hiding them from people. You might even be successful in doing that your entire life. But you will never hide it from God. And whether or not it's known, whether or not Wesley stays in an elephant suit the rest of his life or not, does not change the fact that it's Wesley inside the suit. Whether or not you wear a mask all your life behind 
modest clothes, right words, good lifestyle, whatever you want to hide behind. If you have a dark heart, it's just a dark heart. And the veneer on the outside doesn't change it. We'll talk about what to do with that in a little bit, but that's the primary point. It, I think verse 3 should be very sobering to you and me as well. And I don't know how God's going to do that. But he says, whatever you speak in private will become public. Does that mean at Judgment Day? I think probably that's what that means. But I do think that's sobering. What are the words that we allow ourselves to speak? Jesus says here that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Beware of it. It will spread if you're not careful. Truth will be revealed. And he follows it up by saying, I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear God. Fear eternal rewards and consequences. Don't fear what happens here on earth and what others may say or think. Fear God, not man. That's kind of the basis. That's the backdrop for the way I'd like to approach hypocrisy. Once again, a definition, cause, consequence, and cure. It is not hopeless. It is hopeful because Jesus is in the process of changing dark hearts for those who cooperate with him. First of all, a definition from Oxford Dictionary, the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's a pretense. That is hypocrisy. In Strong's, there's, depending on which uh, Word form you have, you have slight variations to this, but the, the word form of hypocrisy in our text from Luke 12, acting under a feigned part. And the common thread you will find with those similar words is uh, that of, uh, my understanding is from the Greek-Roman theater in which you have people pretending to, they're acting the part of another character, and they're on stage, they're in the theater, they're maybe wearing masks. That is what they're doing. That was, I think as you heard, if you would hear Jesus teach this today, and if we didn't have that Greek background, I suspect that he would have said something like, you are actors, Pharisees, you're doing all this, but you're just pretending. You're just acting. It's not really what you are. And we have the word hypocrite that adds a little more flavor to it today uh, because of that background I think is very helpful. What is hypocrisy? It's pretending something on the outside that is not real on the inside. It is projecting an image outwardly that is not true inwardly. It's projecting what we want others to observe about us rather than what is true. It really is just living a lie. At the heart of it, it is dishonesty and a lack of truthfulness. I have three scriptures listed in which Jesus talks to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy and 
when we think about biblical hypocrisy and the way it's taught, that the stereotype is that that's the Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees, that Jesus took them to task. He was very, very uh, hard on them in that. I'm not going to read, I'm not even going to read all of these passages, but just a few snippets from that. Uh, first of all, from Luke 11, I'd like to read just a few verses. And this is where he's talking about how they had a tradition of, I think someone else was talking about this recently, but they had a tradition of, you, well, the command of God was you must take care of your parents. You must take care of your family members. Their tradition was that if you gave it to the temple, if you gave the money to God, then uh, it could be, you could say, well, I don't have the money. I don't have to take care of my parents. Jesus really took them to task for that. And here's what he said about them in verse 7. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, and I think these words are descriptive of hypocritical people. These people draw near to me with their mouth. They say the right things. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. So it's this, it's this vain thing that's happening there where their words and their actions and their heart are not congruent with each other. Matthew 22, uh, they come to Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees come trying to entangle him in words. His response is, uh, let's see. Well, they come presenting that, he, that he, they have a legitimate question when it's actually they're trying to trap him. Verse 18, Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? So that's the word he used there in which they were presenting something in a light. Oh, this, is a, this is a real theological question. No, it wasn't a theological question. It was actually something they wanted to uh, catch him to where they could accuse him. So what are the causes of hypocrisy in our text? In Luke 12.4, fear is presented as one of those, and I think that is maybe a primary one of hypocrisy. Uh, we, they, people have something to hide. Why do we have something to hide? Because we're fearful of what other people will think, maybe of the consequences, and so we choose to present it in a different way so that we don't, uh, hopefully we can avoid that negative consequence. Another thing is maybe just over-concern about others' approval of ourselves. When we are very concerned about that in an unhealthy way, it will cause us to cover in ways that are wrong. And I think uh, sin, I, I put this one last, it kind of blends in with the other, the other things, but sin, if we allow that unconfessed sin to be in our life, it will tend towards uh, hypocrisy because now we want to cover that. There probably are other causes. You all may be thinking of them. Uh, don't feel like this is necessarily exhaustive, but I think that fear of man is a primary thing, a fear of losing my reputation and my good standing and community. What are some of the consequences?
Well, hypocrisy prevents openness with other people. That's fairly obvious. You might come across as being open, but when hypocrisy is there, something is being hidden. True openness is not occurring. Hypocrisy adversely affects marriage. Spouses who hide things from their partners block emotional intimacy, that close heart level relating that the Lord wants people to have. Husbands living in moral failure frequently try to hide that. They're living dishonestly. Wives can also live in hypocrisy. And it could happen a lot of ways, but I think the, the ultimate result of either of those is a destruction of the close, emotional, caring marriage commitment that the Lord wants for us to, to have. It can be very difficult to live with hypocritical people. There's just this kind of this cloud where there's no openness it actually goes into the thing of honesty and reliability. You don't know what you can trust because what you see is not necessarily what you get. Uh, what's said is not necessarily correct. And it's a relational block. We've talked about this one some already, hypocrisy discouraging others. Children, acquaintances, fellow church members, anybody who observes that duplicity and you may remember from a year or two ago talking about what happens in family relationships and the dynamics that cause children to react to parents. Hypocrisy is one of those things that is very repulsive to children. Parents, we do very well to focus on this and to live openly and honestly. It doesn't mean that they know every detail of everything. But they need to be able to trust our hearts that we're genuine and that we are open towards God and living for Him. Hypocrisy is repulsive, not attractive. And maybe most importantly, hypocrisy blocks our relationship with God. In Job 13, in the middle of a, a much longer discourse, we have this little phrase. He says, a hypocrite could not come before him, talking about coming in the presence of God. Uh, Jesus, in the way he talked with the scribes and Pharisees, made it very plain how repulsive this hypocrisy is to him. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hypocrisy goes directly against that. It's untruth against the character of God. And in fact, if you look in Proverbs 6, in the list of things that God hates, twice he mentions that lack of honesty. God knows and sees all things, and an attempt to hide from him is ludicrous. Hypocrisy is practiced in many different ways. Outward submission, inward rebellion, appearance of an intimate relationship with God, but in reality, little or no relationship with Him. Allowing fear to keep us from relating honestly. And I would like to 
inject here that expression, our expression to other people, and I'm talking about uh, open honesty with other people, there are boundaries, I think, that should be put on that. And I'm forgetting one of these, but I heard a presentation earlier uh, last year, last fall, in which the presenter said, in order to, when you're communicating with people, you ask questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? What's the other one? Kind. Thank you. True, helpful, and kind. And one of the things that sometimes people do is, oh, oh well, I just, you know, I'm going to be open. I don't want to hide anything. And everything gets spewed out. We have to take our communication in proper context of who we're talking to. Is it helpful to them? Now, I am going to also say that there need to be people in our lives where we can say anything, where the filters can come off. If you don't have people like that to process life with, I'd encourage you to get them. We need them. We need to have those people. But that's not necessarily true for just general communication. We do need to have appropriate boundaries in that expression. The reason we need those people that we can share with very openly is because not sharing honestly leads to pretending that things are okay when possibly they aren't. Might be pretending to be without problems while actually struggling with them. Maybe even saying things that are not true, like I love you, when in reality maybe there's hate there. The truth will someday come to light. Once again, going back to Luke 12, verse 2, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. And 1 Corinthians 3.13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, speaking of judgment, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That comes from a much longer passage that I had entertained reading. Uh, I think I'm going to pass on that one and go to another one here in a little bit in 2 Corinthians. Let's wrap up here by talking about the cure for hypocrisy. What's the way to resolve hypocrisy? Do we let it all hang out? Uh, please don't, at least in just without boundaries. But do find that person, people that you can talk about. Do I just live out what I believe and feel inwardly without regard for what's right? No. Our carnal nature should always be kept in check. I'm not talking about doing that. But we should live openly and honestly. <clears throat> when people interact with us, that should be what they feel. They should feel like he's not hiding anything. She's not hiding anything. That's just, that's a genuine person. There's an authenticity. I think that's probably a good word to counter hypocrisy, where there's a genuine authenticity about a person's faith and life. We should repent of wrong beliefs and attitudes. We yield to God's ways and ask him to change us on the inside. 
And I want to spend a little time talking about that. That is the cure for hypocrisy. The answer is not, oh, I've got a dark heart, I'm just going to live it out. No. The answer is, I've got a dark heart, it needs changed. It needs Jesus. That's what needs to be lived out. We reflect the glory of God. We imitate Jesus. That's what we're striving for. <clears throat> Once again, the, the opening screen. Other foundation can no man lay then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And to borrow from Andy Stanley, I heard this, this last year as well. I love this quote. I think I've given it here, but we, choose whether or, we can choose whether or not to follow Jesus. However, once that choice is made, we do not get to choose what that looks like, sounds like, acts like, or reacts like. <clears throat> And I think that is very well said. There's a choice to follow Jesus or not, but once we choose, now we're following. We're not in the driver's seat anymore, and we are going to live life <clears throat> reflecting him and his glory if we are truly following him. The passage I want to go to, <clears throat> and here again I'm not going to read all of it, but 2 Corinthians 3 you may want to open your Bibles and follow along there. Uh, but in that text, Paul is defending, he's defending his apostleship and his ministry. And early on in verse 3, he talks about how, the, he calls it the epistle. You are the epistle, an epistle of Christ, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. What he's, what he's pointing towards is there's an inner change that's happening here. And he's telling the Corinthians, you're our epistle. You are, you are a writing, not a physical writing, but what's written on your heart is a reflection of the change that that Jesus has done, in, or the work that Jesus has done in your life. Then he goes on developing, uh, beginning in verse 7, he talks about the ministry of death, referring to the law. He talks about the story where Moses went on Mount Sinai and met God and came down. His face was glowing. You know the story of they veiled his face, and there's debate among scholars why he was veiled. One understanding of that is his glory was so bright that they couldn't stand to see it. Uh, and I think that is one of the things that's said there in, uh, in the Old Testament is that they could, Moses, we can't stand to look at you. But then there's another understanding that I think is also very helpful coming mostly from this passage, that another reason they wanted his face veiled is because they couldn't stand to see it fade away. The glory of God was so impressive they wanted it. And as that glory was fading away, it's like, Moses, we want you to keep reflecting God. I want to read beginning in uh, let's go to verse 17. We'll read there. We're just going to read the last couple of verses. He's talking about in verse 15 and 16, he talks about the blindness of the heart. 
The blinders are still on people who don't believe. But then when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's an unveiling. There's, there is a freedom. But we all with an unveiled face, behold, as in a mirror, the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is exciting to me. When I think about encountering Jesus, the picture that's given to us here is just like you see yourself in a mirror, that's what we should be to other people. We are the mirror, only when they look at us, what are they seeing? They're seeing Jesus. It's like that mirror's angled and pointed towards God. It's from glory to glory he's changing me. They're looking in. They don't see the old carnal man. They see a changed person reflecting Jesus. That's the cure for hypocrisy. Let the veil of the darkness be pulled off our hearts, replaced by the image of Christ that affects the way we live. It enables us to reflect His glory by the power of the Spirit. Ask what is right and embrace it. Once again, I choose to follow Jesus, but I don't get to say what that looks like, sounds like, acts like, or reacts like. I just follow Jesus. What's wrong? And I reject it. I do not accept it. I make no room for that in my heart. If you think about <clears throat> identifying hypocrisy, we have some verses in Luke 6, verse 43. Jesus said, A good tree does not bear bad fruit. I have it on the screen here. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Hypocrisy is identified by fruit of the life. When you see people being hypocritical, if you see it, hopefully that's minimized. Hopefully at Wellspring we cultivate a culture that is not hypocritical. For me, I want nothing to do with it. I want to live openly with integrity reflecting the glory of God, but when you encounter people, good abundance in the heart will come out in speech and actions, and evil abundance will come out the same way. What the heart holds will eventually be revealed, sometimes earlier than people intend, sometimes successfully hidden and revealed only at the judgment but the solution to
to hypocrisy. The cure is to be changed on the inside. It's not just a matter of expressing right on the outside. It's a matter of being changed on the inside, repenting of wrong, being changed to the right. 1 Peter 2.1 Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. He's saying get rid of those things. Hypocrisy is listed as part of it. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We need to infuse ourselves with the word of God. We need to know it. It needs to become our guiding everything. The word of God needs to saturate our hearts and minds. The truth of God's word will permeate us, will build truthful people that are changed into the glory of Jesus Christ. We'll allow for an openness with others. There's nothing to hide, which allows for healthy transparency and accountability, which is greatly needed. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for your goodness and your transforming power. Help us to push back against that darkness and the hypocritical lifestyle that unfortunately is around us. And wherever it's present in the walls of churches under the guise of Christianity, I pray that you would reveal that darkness and dishonesty, tear it down, let people see what true Christianity is, and we want to be where that's at. We want no hypocrisy here. We want only hearts turned toward you, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. We declare that you are Lord, we choose to follow you, and we ask in the words of Second Peter to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.